You may be seated. Good morning to each of you. Bring you Christian greetings from Shenandoah. It's always good to come back to Myerstown and see many familiar faces, but always see some new faces as well, and that is great to see. On Thursday, I believe it was, I saw there was a topic here. I usually follow the services here at Myerstown, and the one that Drew shared on world awareness caught my attention. I was interested in listening to that and really appreciated what he shared. In my own personal experience, it's easy to maybe live in a bubble at times, kind of forget what some of the other, others uh, across the ocean, other parts of the world, what they're facing and how many unreached people groups they, there are and gives me a, a different perspective at times to hear things like that. And I appreciated the challenge that Drew gave. And there were three words that he, I believe, drove home, three action words. And maybe I'll ask you, who were here at that service, who remembers those words, or maybe even at least one of them, that Drew gave? Three action words, thinking about world awareness and caring for specifically the unreached people groups. Pray, yes. Pray was one of them. Join, yes. Pray, join, and I believe his first one was learn. So, good job. You remembered them. And I want to, before I go into the message this morning, I guess I want to give everyone here an opportunity to help join and pray for God's kingdom. And the first one I'd like to just share so our Bible clubs are starting again in Shenandoah. We usually run the school term. And there is a vision to help young people or help youth, give them opportunity to be involved and to teach. And I know there are some youth here this morning. The desire that we have at Shenandoah is to involve some youth in the ministry as well. And right now there's a lot of families that are helping out with Bible clubs, but we also want to extend it to the youth. Brent and Grace are leading out in that, and Brent is putting a program, some things together that for youth that are involved, there's going to be some activities after Bible clubs as well for some of the nights. So I want to really encourage any youth that may have interest in serving and joining, sharing the gospel, teaching children the truths from God's word, I want to give you the opportunity to be involved. Either talk to me or someone, anyone from Shenandoah, if you have interest in helping out with Bible clubs, we would love to have you help out in that way. And maybe for the rest of you to pray for the Bible clubs as we start a new year. Secondly, I know some of you are familiar with Riley and Katharina and their desire to move to Southeast Asia to spread the gospel. So they have been in training through All Nations Bible Translation, I believe since spring of 2020, somewhere in that time frame. And maybe for some of you who are not very familiar with All Nations Bible Translation, so their vision is 
for communities of believers in every language living out the word of God. And their mission is, they, all nations partners with churches to send teams to facilitate Bible translation and community development while working to establish indigenous churches. So all nations partners with churches. It's not necessarily all nations sending people out, but they're partnering with churches the church is sending out missionaries, but then all nations works alongside of them, equipping people, training people to uh, help, uh, well, the Bible translation in areas that, where people do not have a written copy of God's word. So Riley and Katharina, well, I'll back up a little bit. So there's now three couples that have formed on this team where Riley and Katharina are, are part of. It's uh, Zach and... Becca, Walter, and Rachel, and Riley and Katharina. And so Riley and Katharina plans to help with community, community development, and then Zach is going to be, I believe, a Hebrew translator, and Walter a Greek translator. So there's a lot of work, a lot of training that goes into this, and the people group that they want to go to doesn't even have a written language. So there's just, this is many years of work. This is not a short-term Goal, but it's a rather. Um, they're looking. They're they're really they're committing their lives to this, and the reason I share that all nations the way they support people financially is they will they will supply one third of the cost. They ask they're sending church to supply one third of the cost, and then it's up to Riley and Katharina to find other people that would help give to that other one third for their for their financial needs. And I guess I'm sharing this on behalf of Riley and Katharina this morning. It would be a, a wonderful thing if Myerstown, I know these are busy, these are showing support in other areas as well, but it's, it's a part, it's a, a way to be part of bringing the gospel to the unreached. So if God's not calling you to go to a foreign field, maybe he is calling you to give financially to someone who is part uh, in an unreached people group. And I know there's many needs out there, there's many places to give to give to, but I do want to give you the opportunity. I believe you received a newsletter that Riley and Katharina had wrote regarding some of the vision. And on that newsletter, there is a QR code. You can scan that code and you can give that way. Or if you want to give and did not receive a newsletter, you can also send money to Shenandoah Church uh, designated for Riley and Katharina. And again, if you have questions on that, talk to me or someone else from Shenandoah and we can make some connections for you. Right now, Riley and Katharina are at All Nations Bible Translation, their base, which is in State College. They are doing a four-week training program with these other teams. It's called Launch. It's a pretty in-depth course. And on September 26th, Riley and their team are going to have a virtual meeting. If anyone has interest in, in tapping into it and listening to some of their vision, listening to some of the things that they're learning... So at 7 o'clock on September 26th, you all have the opportunity to join in on that meeting. And again, if you have interest, we can get you a link so you can tune in and hear more details. And again, going back to what Drew shared, there's many, many opportunities. Maybe sometimes it can seem overwhelming or like, where's most needed or where should I give? But I encourage you, if if you're not 
involved in helping someone or, or a, sending to a foreign or a missionary in a foreign field, I'd really encourage you to think about it because it is a beautiful or a, a beautiful opportunity to again to be involved in advancing the gospel, even if God is not calling you specifically to go. And real quickly at the school in Shenandoah, I just thought I'd give a real quick update. It's a the school is growing. We have 21 students. I know it's not a large number to some of you, what some of you are familiar with, but the school is continuing to grow. And we have four teachers. We're blessed with four teachers this year. There's some tutoring needs, and there's also some or two families from the community that are sending their children as well. So that is a a good opportunity there to to share God's word even in school with some families that would generally not hear the gospel. So you can pray for the work in Shenandoah. For a message, you can turn with me to the book of James. At Shenandoah, I am preaching through this book. And the passage I would like to share from this morning is James chapter 2. And looking at verses 1 through 13. I'm going to try to condense this message from what I shared in Shenandoah for the sake of time. James, for those of you, or most of you I know are familiar with this book, it's a short book, only five chapters, and you can read through it in one sitting in about 20 minutes. It's a very practical book, very easy to read, it's easy to understand, And someone has said, James is like a book of Christian proverbs exhorting us to live holy lives. And it's not so much as a train of thought as it is a string of pearls. So if you read the book of James, you'll find quickly that James jumps around to multiple different topics throughout those five chapters. It is likely the earliest book that was written in the New Testament. And James, this was likely the half-brother of Jesus. So there was a time where Jesus' own siblings rejected Jesus. They didn't really believe that he was really sent from God, that he was God's son. But later, I believe after the crucifixion of Jesus or after the resurrection, James was absolutely convinced this is not just his uh, biological brother. He had obviously a different father. His father was God. And James put his faith in his brother Jesus and, and God's son and later gave his life for the gospel. So very quickly, I'll just give a a very brief overview of chapter 1, but James talks about multiple topics in chapter 1. He talks about trials. Now, if you're like me, you don't like going through trials. Trials are difficult. Trials are hard. But James says that trials can be for our good, and it really depends on our attitude through the trials. James says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations or when you fall into various trials. Are you joyful through trials? And he talks about temptation, how we are tempted when we're drawn away from the lust that comes from within. And if we yield to temptation, that sin brings death. We know what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden. Adam and Eve in the garden. They were cast out of the garden and death came as a result of sin. And that still happens today. Death is a result of sin. And then also, James talks about being doers of God's word and not hearers only. Sometimes it's easy to know the truth, 
to know what God's word says, but then sometimes it's a lot harder to actually apply it. And I appreciate the Sunday school lesson, Kurt, in being careful where we go to for advice. And God's word is here for us. God's word is truth. And we can, like Kurt mentioned, go about anywhere, or we can find someone that's going to tell us what we want to hear. But we need to go to the truth of God's word and be doers and not hearers only. So, James chapter 2, the title of the message is, Love That Shows No Partiality. And I believe James is addressing a problem here in the beginning of this chapter, where he was seeing partiality take place between the rich and the poor. The definition of partiality is unfair or bias in favor. Bias in favor of one person or people group compared with another. Or another word that could be used is show or favoritism or showing favoritism. The King James Version uses the word respect here in verse 1. Some translations use uh, partiality. And at this time, I will read the first seven verses here in James chapter 2. And notice again, thinking about partiality and what James is telling us regarding the rich and the poor. James says, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons? For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come and also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing or the fine clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, uh, Stand thou there, or sit under my footstool. Are you not then partial in yourselves? And are becoming judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to them that love him? But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by which ye are called? I'll just stop there for right now. And Dad, I really appreciate the devotional this morning. It tied right in with the message in thinking about the rich and the poor. And when I shared this at Shenandoah the other week, this message, I had, a, had two young men help me out a little bit with the message. I had one of them dress up as a wealthy person and one dress up as a poor person. The picture that James gives us here in these verses, he says about the, the rich man coming into your assembly. So I don't know exactly what was happening, but it would have almost seemed that even in church life, there was a distinction between the rich and the poor and how they were treated. So I had the, the first man come, the young man come out when I illustrated this in Shenandoah, dressed up as a wealthy man. I was like, welcome to the service. I'm so glad you're here. I gave him the seat up here on the pulpit. And then the second man soon came and dressed in shabby clothing. And I just was like, well, why don't you just sit right here and just had him sit down on the floor. That's a little bit of what James is, the picture that James is giving here. The, the wealthy man, one with the gold ring, dressed in fine clothes, versus the, the poor person. It just kind of like, well, just, just sit here. There was a d- clear distinction between the rich and the poor. Now, I know that's not happening here in Shenandoah. At least that, I hope I would, that would never, that we would never see that distinction. In church, a distinction between separating the poor versus the rich. James is say, saying, show no partiality. I'll read the first three verses here in the ESV. I think it says it a little bit easier for understanding in the way we would say it today. My brothers, 
show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Again, thinking how bad this would look, especially in a church setting, a distinction between the rich and the poor. So I have three points I want to share with the message this morning. And they have their answers to the question, why is partiality wrong? What is wrong with it? And I have three answers that I would like to look at. The first one is, it is inconsistent with faith in Christ. That comes from verses 1 through 4. And then the second point is, it is contrary to the purposes of God, verses 5 through 7. And then thirdly, it is a violation of the royal law, verses 8 through 13. So jumping right into the first point, being it is, why is partiality wrong? It is inconsistent with faith in Christ. We don't have to go far, and when we're reading the Bible, if we go start from the beginning to find out that God cared about how people treated each other, about how his people treated each other. God did not want people showing partiality among the rich or the poor. Leviticus 19.15 says, You shall do no unrighteousness or injustice in judgment. Thou shalt not respect the person of the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. But in righteousness shalt thou judge thy neighbor. Deuteronomy 16.19 You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality, nor take a bribe. For a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of the righteous. So we know that God is a just God. God does not show respect to some, or God shows no partiality. Deuteronomy 10, 17, this is the New King James Version, says, For the Lord your God is a God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. So why is it wrong to show partiality? Well, it is inconsistent with faith in Christ. God shows no partiality and neither can we. We know that Jesus came and he died on the cross, not just for the Jews, but he died for the Gentiles. And that was a struggle. That was, they were wrestling through this for a time in, in the beginning after this happened how Gentiles can come to faith in Christ. Ephesians 2 says, talking about Jesus, he says, For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments ordained in ordinance, contained in ordinances for to make him in himself of twain one new man, so making peace." Christ came and he died. He died on the cross so that all people, all who come to repentance, all who confess their sins and come to faith in Christ can experience the forgiveness of sins. Jesus' death on the cross was not partial to some people. Uh, it was, uh, he died for all people. Galatians 3 says, For there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. 
thinking again about the example or the story that James said or gave in the beginning of this chapter, how the rich man comes in and is given the place of honor and the poor man is just made to sit down at their feet. Again, I hope we would never see that in churches today. Never see that in Myerstown, never see that in any of our churches. But there was a time, even in the U.S., where there was partial between black people and white people. There were there were churches specifically for black people where they wouldn't have been welcomed in a, in a white church. And how sad that was when we read in the Bible, God shows no partiality where Jesus Christ died on the cross for all. So I ask the question to myself and ask you the question as well, do you show partiality? Again, I hope not nearly to this extent, but if we're honest, or if I'm honest, it is sometimes pretty easy to show partiality. Maybe we, out in everyday life, someone who is very well-dressed versus someone that's in tattered clothing, we can easily make judgments in our heart and maybe be a little more partial to that person that is well-dressed. And I want to be clear, too, the problem is not that in this, in this setting, the problem wasn't that they were being too nice to the rich, but it's that they were being partial and they were not being kind to the poor people. So it's good to be, or it's right, to be kind to both the wealthy and the poor. The problem was not that they were being, again, too nice to the rich. So, again, thinking about the inconsistency with, it is contrary, or yet it's inconsistent to faith in Christ to be partial. Salvation, again, is offered for all people, black or white. We are one in Christ Jesus. There's no status levels. When we come to the cross, the ground is level. And we all can experience the forgiveness of sins. God is impartial, so we should be as well. I think it is so good to remember, especially when I see that person that might not be respected by society, to remember that that person is created in the image of God. That person has a soul that will never die. God can look right past the outward appearance, and I believe we should do that as well. Yes, we, we notice it, and I, that's just, as humans, I think we will notice that, but to, to really look past that and see those people as created in the image of God. They have a soul, and God cares about that person, and so should I. I should not be showing partiality. And to be clear as well, I'm not saying that we can't have any friends that, are, that we're closer to than others. Like even within a church body, we probably have some, you probably have people that you connect on a closer level than with other people. I believe that's, that's okay and that's right to have closer friendships. But the inner, or where it's not okay is where we're just you know, not willing to associate with someone or showing partiality where we're not having respect to one another, we're treating someone unfairly. Or maybe thinking about, too, like, what value do we place on people? Do we value the person that is well-dressed? Do we put a higher value on that person than the person that is poor, that's just struggling throughout life? Do we have less, do we put less value on them? I believe if we do, I believe we are showing partiality. Proverbs 22, 2 says, The rich and poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. That's another something so good to remember. Thinking about the rich and the poor, the Lord is the maker of them all. 
from Harold Martin's commentary. He says, in essence, James says, and I quote, do not try to combine faith in the Lord Jesus with acts of partiality. It is grossly inconsistent to allow favoritism and discrimination while claiming to have faith in such a lowly yet exalted person as the Lord Jesus Christ. So it is inconsistent to say, I have faith in Christ and yet show partiality or don't value all people. I cannot show partiality and and claim to have faith in Christ. So what I really want to drive home this morning is to love without partiality because God's love extends to all people. Again, to love without partiality because God's love extends to all people. God loved me, so I should love all people as well. Verse 4, are you not then partial in yourselves and are become judges of evil thoughts? So if we're making these distinctions and we're becoming judges, so in the Old Testament, we were, yeah, Dad was talking about the judges that were put in place. But if we are judging, you know, making distinction between the rich and the poor and treating them according to that, that's, that's evil thoughts coming from within and, within, and we are to have no part of that. So again, why is partiality wrong? The first point, it is inconsistent with faith in Christ. Now moving to the second point, it is contrary to the purposes of God. And verse 5 says, Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? Many times, I believe, as Jesus ministered to people, he was drawn to the poor. There was times where Jesus saw many people scattered as sheep without a shepherd, and he, had, he was moved with compassion for them. Many times Jesus met the needs of poor people. Jesus came. He left the splendors of heaven. He came as a very, made a very poor entrance into this world and a very humble, had a very humble birth, a poor family, Jesus many times identified with the poor. And I believe the poor are special to God. Not that the rich aren't, but Jesus had a heart for the poor. And God's choice is not clearly not limited to the poor. but And and it's not that the poor are automatically saved. In verse 5 here it says, Which he hath promised to them that love him. So it's not just the poor that are saved, but Jesus really does care about the needs of the poor, the ones that, are, that don't have much to this life. And again, I don't know what all James saw in the early church, but in, at the end of chapter 1, he, he talks about what pure, religion is look, what pure religion looks like. He said, Pure religion and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. So I believe there, were, there was likely needs within the church, maybe that were getting neglected or that James was maybe, maybe not neglected so much as he just really wanted to see the ones that weren't able to really provide for themselves. He wanted them to see their needs being met, but he likely saw distinctions made from the, or between the rich and the poor. And I do believe that in heaven, I believe we're going to be maybe surprised sometimes at maybe who is in heaven, maybe sometimes at who's not in heaven. And I believe there's go- heaven's going to consist of both rich and poor. But 
I believe our riches, and I'm, I'm, I would say we're all rich here this morning, living in America. Yeah, we might not feel rich, but when you compare ourselves to the rest of the world, we, we are the wealthy. We have been blessed with so much. God cares about what we do with our material possessions. God cares that we, or his desire is us for, for us to, to serve others, to, to meet the needs that are among us. And I believe riches can many times be distractions or an obstacle from entering into the kingdom of heaven. As James talks about here, God choosing the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him. I believe a blessing that the poor have is, I believe they are more likely to put their faith in Jesus or or to trust Jesus to provide for their needs because they don't have the uh, sufficiency of of themselves or in their bank account. And I have a quote from F.B. Myers that says, the rich man may trust him, speaking of God, the rich man may trust him, but the poor man must. The poor man has no fortress in which to hide except the two, ar- the two strong arms of God. Thinking again about the contrast between the rich and the poor. When we have all our needs met, when we have a good amount in our bank account, when we have food in the freezers, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have those things. We, we are called to be wise stewards, but so often it's easy to just place our trust in, in those things and not really rely on our Heavenly Father. Versus the poor, when they don't have those things there, who do they go to but rely on God or to many times trust him? It's not like all the poor automatically trust God. I realize that. But the poor, I believe, are more likely to do so than the rich often or many times. And then verses 6 and 7, James says, But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do they not blaspheme that worthy name by which you are called? I don't know what your experiences all have all been in working among rich people. There are some very nice, wealthy people, but there are also sometimes you may have had experiences where it's you work with rich people that are just not very pleasant to work with or maybe very picky. And James says, isn't it the rich ones that are causing you these problems and drawing you before judgment seats? And I believe, or it was likely that James was referring to some of the, maybe the rich uh, Sadducees that were causing trouble when they were out spreading the gospel. It was them, these uh, rich religious leaders that were stirring all the trouble. And James is saying, it's it's the rich men that are causing you the problems. (laughs) I believe that's what he may have been referring to. I had read a story a few weeks ago of, it was a, a poor, it was a, a farmer in a village and he had he had chickens and he would take his eggs to the market to sell them and he was one day he was at market trying to sell his eggs and he had not sold any that day and there was this very well-dressed lady that came or obviously a wealthy lady that came along and he had his asking price for his eggs and this wealthy lady came along and basically demanded to buy them at a, a much lower rate than what he was asking and he contemplated for a time and decided, well, <laughs> at this rate, he doesn't have any money to take home, so he agreed to sell them at the lesser rate that she was basically demanding, so she sold the eggs, and the lady goes to her 
vehicle and she go, her, picks up a friend, goes to a, a fancy restaurant for a meal. She's feeling pretty good about getting her good deal on the eggs and her and her friend eat this uh, expensive meal and af after the meal was over they left a very generous tip at this fancy restaurant and just went home, you know, feeling pretty good about how things went. I, I share that story because so often it can be like, I hope we would never go to the extremes of this lady where we're not treating the poor well or we're, where we're taking advantage of the poor and then she's turning around and leaving a very generous tip to the, the wealthy and thinking about how inconsistent that is with faith in Christ. As Christians, we should not be taking advantage of the poor and being more generous towards the wealthy or caring just about our status or making ourselves look good. But no, as Christians, see, we look beyond the outward appearance. We look into the heart and we see them as created in the image of God. And we care about the people for who they are, for the, the beauty how, that God designed them with, rather than showing partiality depending on their, the status that they have in society. So, again, thinking about that second point, it is contrary to the purposes of God. God has chosen the poor of this world rich in faith. So it is contrary to the purpose of God to show partiality. Now the third point, it is a violation of the royal law. For the Christian, I believe it is really one law that controls our treatment of all people, the law of love. It is called the royal law because it is the supreme law to which all other laws gover governing human relationships are subordinate. And I'll read verses 8 through 13 at this time in James chapter 2. If you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, you do well. But if you have respect to persons, you commit sin and are convinced of the, of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Now if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So speak you, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy, that show, that show no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. So going again back to the royal law, showing partiality, the third point, is a violation of the royal law. And this royal law is, in a sense, king of all laws, or the ultimate law. And G Jesus gave the, the, the greatest commandment is, you know, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So as I was thinking about this, as I was studying for this message in initially, what came to my mind, so James talks about if we break one law, so if we don't commit adultery, or the example that James gave here, so for someone that does not commit adultery, yet he goes out and kills, he's guilty of the whole law, even though he maybe only broke the one law. But the image that I got in my mind was, a, I should have a wheel up here for an object lesson, but think about a wheel with the center of that wheel being the hub, 
And if we can think of that hub as the ultimate command or the, the royal law, loving God and loving others as our, or being kind to others, as the royal law, and then picture the spokes going out to the wheel to support the wheel as the other laws. So all those laws are connected to the royal law, the main law, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So if I break the one law, so thinking about some of the laws that are given, or maybe the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal. So if, if, we're, if we think that we've, we're keeping all the commandments, yet we fail in one area, really the, the wheel is broken, that spoke is broken, and the, the integrity of the wheel is no longer there because of the broken spoke. So if I, another, what James is saying here in verse Verse 9, if you have respect to persons, you commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. So, again, thinking about these commandments, the wheel analogy, love as being at the center, by showing partiality, I'm guilty. I have broken the law. I've committed sin, and the law is broken. If I really love others as God intended me to love, I won't you know, commit adultery. I won't steal from my neighbor. I won't lie about someone else because that all, the, all those laws point back to or hinge on that royal law. So when I break one command or when we fail in one area, we're guilty. We need to confess it. We need the blood of Jesus to cleanse us. So God does not show partiality. And if we show partiality, we are violating the royal law. And then verse 12, James says, So speak you and so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. Now, verse 12 is a challenge. So speak and so do. Again, thinking back to chapter 1, James says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. So it's easy to say, but much harder to do. It is so important that we not only hearers, but we actually apply God's law, and specifically this morning, that we do not show partiality, that we love all people, that we have mercy on all people. Verse 13 says, if we're not going to have mercy, if we don't show mercy to others, we're not going to experience mercy. Well, I'll just read here again, verse 13, for he shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. Are you thankful this morning for the mercy that God has given you? And I believe we would all say yes. We, want, we need God's mercy. We stand in need of God's mercy. We need it. And God's desire, God's heart, is that we extend mercy to others. When we see that poor person, that we extend mercy to them and not show partiality. So again, thinking about God's, or the third point, it is a violation. Why is partiality wrong? It is a violation of the royal law. The word racist is probably a word that we all have heard maybe many times and maybe get tired of hearing that word. The, I had a coworker at one time said when, he would go, when he'd get called for jury duty, he would go in and he would tell them that he's racist, or tell the people there he's racist so that he can get dismissed from jury duty. Might seem a little bit humorous, but as a, as a Christian, we cannot be a Christian 
and racist. At least I don't know how the two go hand in hand because God shows no partiality. We cannot show partiality, partiality either. And in America, we have a lot of immigrants, a lot of people moving in from other countries. And I think we should ask, or I should ask myself, and you should ask yourself as well, what is your mentality towards people moving in from other countries? See, God sees, or they're created in God's image. Yeah, they might look different. They might act different. They might do things differently than we do. But do we show love? Do we care for them? Do we look past the skin color? Do we look past the differences and see them as created in the image of God? So in conclusion, why is partiality wrong? Again, it is inconsistent with faith in Christ. It is contrary to the purposes of God. It is a violation of the royal law. And again, my challenge is that I want to leave with you is to love without partiality because God's love extends to all people. And as you go throughout this week, you may interact with wealthy. You may come across the paths of poor people, maybe some people that are despised by many in society. But I trust it is your heart. And I I trust I'm speaking to people who do a good job at this already. But just a reminder again, every person is created in the image of God. Every person has value. And every person should be treated with respect. We should not or we cannot be partial. So when you see that poor person... Maybe just go out of your way to, to bless, some, bless them and to encourage them and to show them love. And the same to the rich person. Show love without partiality. Thank you for your attention. I'll have a prayer then after the prayer if we can have a song. And yeah, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. I thank you for these verses in James that instruct us how to treat others. And I pray that we would not show partiality between the rich and the poor, but that we would show love to both, that we would show love to everyone that we meet. We thank you that you are a God who does not show partiality. We thank you that you are a God who is merciful to us. And I pray that each one of us in return could show mercy to others and not be partial or not be judging. I pray that we would take the opportunities that you bring in our paths this week. I pray that we could take advantage of those opportunities and to be especially reminded of the poor and those that may be experiencing rejection or being despised by society. I pray that we'd be willing to go out of our way to show love to them. Pray that you'll be with us as we go from here. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's turn in the Songs of Faith and Praise of 377. 377 in the Songs of Faith and Praise. And why don't we stand as we sing?